Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Max Knows What Winning Is About, eh? And that is from Richard Crosson on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends, call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. Welcome to the Montreal race review. There was a grandstand finish to enjoy at Montreal and a good Canadian Grand Prix, as I've said many times in the past, like most temporary tracks, needs rain or a safety car. But luckily in Montreal, there's usually plenty of both. So we had a nice rain-filled practice and qualifying and we had some safety cars to spice things up during the race. And on a Sunday that looked for all the world like it was going to be a Verstappen stroll in the park, we were treated to some classic F1 chase down to the finish. So, coming up, we'll discuss, do Ferrari and Mercedes have anything left in the tank to chase titles? Can Hamilton and Mercedes build on that race form? And should we end safety car lotteries? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Busy looking at all the pit stops. Good, because you are our gateway to strategy. We're also joined by Kyle Edgy Power. For once, VSC's enabled strategy rather than denying us of strategy. (laughs) It did. They came at exactly the right time. Mm. And from Australia, we're joined by Jonathan Simon. It's good to be back. That's all I'm going to say. It's good to be back. What a race. Like that one. What time was the race for you, Jono? 
four o'clock in the morning. But I said before, I'm actually not tired for this one. Every time I jump on Missed Apex, <laughs> my memories are, my head's ringing. I need a coffee. I feel pretty good at the moment. Now, now you finally know how hard it's been for us Brits for some of the late races. But let's get on and let's talk about where the race was won and lost. Now, normally we do tend to start these kind of shows off on a big ticket item and talk about like the most interesting and exciting thing that happened. The thing that you're going to want to tune in for. We don't mess around. We just get to it. But I think today the big the big thing is kind of a non-event leading up to the race, Matt. It was all about what would Alonso do at turn one? Yes. And clearly Alonso was going to dive bomb Verstappen or even cut that turn entirely, take yeah. the lead and then just refuse to hand it back and ruin everybody's day except for, well, I think reality had a different plan. I, I mean, I'm as guilty as any social media person of going, oh, he's definitely, he's definitely going to send it into turn one. Magic Alonso. Yeah, I think this was one of the most overhyped race starts that I've ever, <laughs> I've ever known personally. I don't think he was ever going to do a crazy move because I think he really quite likes Verstappen, and I think he was mainly just playing up for the cameras and the show. So I, I wasn't surprised when it was a bit of a damp squib. I just want to get that term in quickly. Nice. I remember in our group chat, somebody said, um, I don't know if it was you, Kyle, but somebody said, oh, this is a this is an overhyped sort of Alonso thing. And he's done it again. This is a Fernando Alonso trick where he'll say something in the media, gets everybody hyped. And you're like, oh, when are we going to learn to stop listening to the man? <laughs> I, I think the thing with Fernando Alonso, like a lot of struggling governments, is that, and like I actually said about Ferrari as well, he he's always just looking at the next session. What is the thing that will make me look good in the moment? and like Alonso has previous, doesn't he, Kyle, of like in a practice session, just randomly taking the fuel out and just getting up to the top of the timing sheets just to just to get back up there, just to show his name on the top. Yeah, a bit of glory running. Um, that's what I thought they were doing on Friday a little bit. I thought they might have been glory running on their race pace because everyone's like, oh, my God, it looks really, really strong. And I'm just like, I think they're going and grabbing headlines a bit like <laughs> Prost in preseason testing. So I do think there's a bit of that. It's keeping themselves at the front and relevant and in the press and saying, look, I am I am the magic maestro. Like, I'm here all the time. <laughs> and also that might have played into the strategy a little bit in this race, even though I could be completely wrong. Okay, so Alpine ended up, they did have a pretty good weekend, dis- despite not quite failing, uh, not quite managing to live up to the hype. We'll definitely get back to, to Alpine. But without a doubt, the highlight of this race weekend, Matt, was the, the battle between Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz. I think it was all the sweeter for the fact that no one was really expecting Sainz to take it to Verstappen. And as Kyle mentioned, the virtual safety cars just seemed to give us this seesaw backwards and forwards where we never really knew who was ahead throughout the Grand Prix. No, I I mean, I think if you look at it overall, I think the Ferrari had the slightly better platform at Montreal. And and we can assume this because Sainz is usually a bit slower than Leclerc or Leclerc because we're in Montreal. So I guess I'll give it the French pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what I loved about it is you're right. We didn't know until the very last lap, really, and until the end of lap 69, if Sainz was going to pull it off or not. And I think that's a lot of credit to Carlos and a lot of credit to Red Bull for keeping Verstappen there 
And, oh, yeah, it just was so fun to watch. Yeah, I was actually really surprised he mounted such a challenge because, you know, um, no disservice to Carlos Sainz, but this is against Max Verstappen, who's an absolute beast and an animal. And I just didn't think that Sainz would actually get that close, but I think it was like two or three laps after the restart. He was super, super close, and then he completely hung on. So, And also Verstappen obviously not been able to communicate with the team or anything. It might have been playing on his mind a little bit. So credit to Science because he absolutely hustled him and hounded him the whole way. But I think where he come unstuck was he was absolutely monstering the sausage curbs. He was the Ferrari could ride them better, but he was really taking advantage and abusing them. But an incredible effort. He got really, really close. And it would have been great if he would have got close enough for a crazy send on the last lap. But I think he's far too sensible for that. It's always interesting every weekend to, to figure out who's quicker, Red Bull or Ferrari. And it was hard to determine that this weekend at, at Canada because of all the penalties, because of Perez's effort in qualifying, the rain, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, what I was impressed by was you had your top three as usual. It was Red Bull, Ferrari in whatever order, Mercedes third quickest. Alpine being the fourth quickest car isn't always like that every week. And they had a really good car in the wet and the dry, and they really proved it throughout practice. We talked about them maybe having some glory running. I don't think it was the case. Normally, it's always that Alfa Romeo or some other team in fourth. So um, a real good, interesting pecking order in Canada. Okay. But where I sort of... I, th- I think the the point where we lost who was indeed in front, Matt, was that first virtual safety car yeah. round of pit stops. So Perez... <laughs> I don't mind. I'm neutral. But oh, my goodness. Right. That's that, we, We've been bigging up the title push for Perez like is he there is he still within it within a chance he's still within a race win even though even though uh, you know he didn't have the race pace in Baku then the 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 gear the gearbox conks out so realistically for now until there's a big turnaround I'm going to park my Perez title push as much as it hurts so he causes a a virtual safety car about half the field decide to pit and that's what sets us apart and I do love these kind of races you know that's what you get with you know when you talk to talk about uh, Bahrain with that, the the battle in the desert between Rosberg and Hamilton, when you have drivers diverge on different strategies that are then going to come back together later on in the race, that's some of the most fascinating Grand Prix. It is, but it was a really badly timed effort by Perez. I mean, this was like lap nine, lap ten, and it's 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 too long to really get to the. I mean, you might eke the tires out. So you're I mean, saying, Perez, you're saying Perez messed up by inducing the virtual safety car the too early. The gearbox failed too soon. Too early. Okay, you come did on, not do the job. They pushed the button at the wrong time. Are we saying that they've put little explosive charges on components in the gearbox that they can trigger when they want or on a delayed you know what, time fuse? I wasn't going to start a conspiracy theory, <laughs> but I think, Matt, you noted the Sonoda safety car was caused at a reasonably convenient time. Perez is yep. one, also brought out a safety car. So, yeah, there might be just Helmut Marco in the background going, okay, deploy order 1-1, one, one, and that's Perez gone. To be fair, it was quite a, I was quite surprised to see them pit that early, and that was telling me that I think they already yeah. knew they weren't going to be able to make the one-stop work. Oh, they were fully yeah. committed to yeah. the two-stop, and they just took the opportunity. And it was surprising that I think it was out of the top group, it was only Lewis that followed them in as well so that safety car and that vsc and i can't remember a time when a vsc has actually improved the strategy or the um the strategy dynamics of the race and it was perfect because then we had lewis and verstappen on this alternate strategy now 
and yeah. then and then the others and obviously science was obviously instructed to do the opposite and it was just fascinating but i think the second one sort of killed it slightly because i thought science might have been trying to get to the end yeah so i think what you said was key the they'd already in their heads gone oh this is probably going to be a two-stopper because i think a lot of the time the teams are stretching for the one-stopper and what the virtual safety car does is it takes any peril out because they all take the cheap stop getting that one stop out of the way so on a street track like singapore uh, montreal um uh, monaco australia that kind of thing as soon as there's that virtual safety car early on or even like sochi actually they go ah oh, right this is the chance to just take that one stop and that kills any tactics. Obviously in Sochi, it's because of low tyre wear rather than uh, poor overtaking. But here, it did really add to the race. Jono? I think you have to take a virtual safety car pit stop almost not all the time, but you you have to strongly consider it. Ferrari, there's no excuses for them in a, in a good way. You know, they decided to do the opposite. You have to do that when you're racing Verstappen at that stage. But for, for Hamilton to come in and not Russell, I'm not, I'm not sure if that was a driver call or, or a team call. That's something else that was a little bit weird. At the end of the day, I thought strategy was kind of easy to follow because once the first virtual safety car came out, if you didn't take that opportunity, it nullified the effect at the second one. And then the strategy became either, okay, who has pitted and who hasn't? And it sort of became that type of race. But um, yeah, it, it, it did open up the door for a lot of people to try something different. Yeah, and it was actually quite a, I thought it was quite a bold decision from Red Bull. They're leading the race. They have the most to lose. And I think we've seen Mercedes previously in these sorts of situations and haven't dictated yes. the strategy. They've, They've waited reactive. to react. Yeah. And this was quite a kind of an authoritative and bold move from Red Bull to actually take it. So it was quite surprising because it was, you know, for all intent and, and purposes, it was looking like Verstappen was just going to breeze off into the distance. But this is the difference. Red Bull have never been reactive. They've always been proactive with this kind of stuff, Matt. They have. I think it was a sign of weakness, however, because I will point out what? that once Carlos Sainz yeah. got round Alonso, the gap to Verstappen did not move. And let's consider that they were on the medium tire and that. The medium tire, which is normally the soft tire, and that greening tends to start happening on that tire right around lap 10 or 11 on a fuel, on a full fuel load. I'll say it correct now. And I think they looked at the fact that they weren't able to put any extra space between them and signs and realized that uh, at least on this tire, they might have been up against it. And perhaps they were hoping signs would lose time in a graining phase compared to them. And that would give them a bit of an advantage later on when they needed to make their second stop. I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, you talked about Red Bull being proactive. Ferraris kind of reacted and did their own thing. Alpine, they didn't, did they not proact or react or what the hell was going on with them? You know, I have no clue what happened with them. We'll go oh, on man. to them a little bit later, but they were nothing. Yeah. They didn't even, they were just standing there the whole race. What I've got a doing defense. I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to spoil it. I've got a defense. Oh. I've got a defense for Alpine. Okay. I know exactly what oh. you're talking about though. And it what definitely in the world did. Was that? It definitely did seem like that. But in, in a way, yes, Jono, you're right. Once you mm. realize that basically both strands of that strategy both got a free virtual safety car uh then it kind of it evened out and the fact that like carl is saying that the one stop was never going to work actually everyone was pretty even leading up to 
that that safety car. In fact, sorry, we'll go we'll go to you, Matt, here because if we go with your conspiracy theory that Sonoda is like, okay, uh, Sonoda into the wall now. Uh, we need a safety car to shore things up for Max. If it had been later, Max would have come out. Uh, sorry, Signs would have come out with m- much fresher tires than than Verstappen. But with only a six lap difference, really, that safety car neutralized the entire race and what we got from then on was a very like a a, a montreal sprint on a track you know a dry montreal not very conducive to overtaking and there wasn't very much after the safety car so as much as the virtual safety car set us up for this grand finale and it was exciting really that final safety car just neutralized it and, and killed the strategy yeah well there's a couple of interesting points to come out of this uh first of all I think for for signs, it was a big loss because let's remember that his he changed tires around lap twenty. Now we saw in the race we saw Botas go all the way to lap to the safety car, forty nine laps on those hard tires, and he wasn't really losing pace, which means that signs was was in the window for a one stopper to work for him. Verstappen on fresher tires was catching him but maybe not quite fast enough to make Red Bull happy. So, uh, Yuki, could you hit the wall, please? I'm sure that's exactly (laughs) what was said. Okay. And he said, oh, I'll do it in a way that no one will forget. Make it look like an accident. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, um, I agree with Matt. Um, I think I put it in our group chat during the race. I think science was was nailed on for the one stop because remember during the first stint his team come out and said we're still on plan Mm. A. The tire wear, the deg is better than we expected so i actually think science would would have done it for some reason ferrari seemed to be looking after their tires better than red bull for this race which is a bit of a flip-flop on what we've seen previously and yeah i think we were going to be treated to um a verstappen hunting down science for the win in the final few laps and the actual yeah the actual full-blown safety car kind of denied this of that but still set us up for a good finish I think Verstappen, personally, I think he would have passed signs anyway, you know, regardless of the safety car. You know, I think that's what was happening. The, the critical part at the end of the race was it, as much as a lot of people might think, oh, you know, it kind of ruined that that lead battle. And we had a, a thrilling final yeah, few was, laps. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was great. But also the critical part for Verstappen is, and there's two things. Number one, he's very, very talented at defending and it's very, very hard to pass him. Number two, the traction that Red Bull had coming out of the, the hairpin coming out of the final chicane in all the critical zones where he could be passed. It was like they'd set up the ERS or the deployment or something in that car, or he just had a better setup coming out of the corners where it was just so hard to pass him. I don't think he got past all, all race, right? No, he didn't pretty much just. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is though, all season Honda Red Bull has been great in a straight line. So that's not a massive surprise, but I do think Matt has a point that without the safety car, it would have been Verstappen trying to hunt down signs. And, and to be honest, all, all the way through those the, the later stints, it did look like signs had, and I, I'm staring. In fact, we were staring at the lap times so intently, I actually had to pull my boy away from the, the live timings. It was a race that was so good to watch on the live timings that he was just absolutely engrossed. But I, I, I think you're right, Matt. I think Ferrari had a chance with signs to, to hold and like manage maybe a five-second gap without that safety car. Yeah, well, I mean, we can think about uh, Max pitted lap 43, as I recall. Um, but we could look at signs going from nine seconds 
to six seconds. And all of mm-hmm. a sudden it was like, yeah. oh, science took half, half a second out. Science took us a half a second out. I mean, the commentators were noticing it, which means it, it was a big deal. But I will put to you another interesting thing mm-hmm. is if you were to compare the Red Bull pit stop timings to the Carlos Sainz pit stop timings, you'd have more than Verstappen's margin of victory right there alone. <laughs> so are you saying Ferrari Ferrari'd? I'm just saying that maybe Ferrari need to be looking to their pit stops relative to Red Bull as an area of performance where they can improve. John, I, I agree. I think they need to improve there. But, you know, in this race, obviously, Trumpets, that the safety car is what, the reason why Science was stuck behind Verstappen or he couldn't pass him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think a pit stop was going to make the difference there because at the end of the day, the safety car brought the gap down. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah. I do agree with you when it comes down to a battle later on in the season where it could come down to the final race like we had last year, Ferrari's got to look at this kind of stuff, the attention to detail. Well, I think I think what I'm saying is that if his first stop had been faster, he would have might have had the margin. And especially if the second stop during the safety car had been faster, he might have been even with or slightly ahead of Verstappen when he came out of the pits. That that was my point. Yeah. And look, we have said time and time again that Ferrari are dropping a lot of the the little decisions, a lot of the little tactical decisions, not so little at Monaco. But we, we know that's an issue. We've, we've highlighted that. And for everyone who's wanting Ferrari to take the challenge to Red Bull this season, you know, we're all screaming at the TVs uh, to, uh, at Ferrari and we're saying, you know, perhaps they are hasty in these kind of situations. So we know that's true. However, given that uh, Sainz is very much the number two driver at Ferrari, sorry, Matt, but he's very much the number two driver. Had that been Charles Leclerc up front, Kyle, different? Yeah, I was just about to make a very similar point. Like, imagine if that was Leclerc in that situation there. I think we would have had a much fiercer fight. I mean, we have seen it. I'm not just dunking on sites. He was my uh, he was my hot tip for the season. Mm. Um, and I do very much like him. But um, we have seen in every single race that Leclerc has had it a comfortable advantage on race pace over him. So actually Leclerc is going to be kicking him, not kicking himself. He's yeah. going to be very, very down and annoyed because I think if he was in science's shoes or car, I think he probably would have won. I'm not convinced that even if you grant Leclerc that two tenths of a second, that the Delta would have been enough for that Ferrari to get around a Red Bull yeah, in front. Because the Red but, Bull's fast in all the right places. Yeah. Exactly. But what I do want to point out is that for all everyone's been talking about Ferrari reliability, it was a Red Bull that went bang today. Yeah. And I don't think either of these two top teams is anywhere near uh, in a window like Mercedes was in the previous set of regulations as far as reliability is concerned. I don't know who these people are. I mean, do people remember Red Bull's reliability troubles? The first yeah, couple yeah. of races, Verstappen yeah, yeah. lost so many points. So it's pretty pretty even at the moment. Um, you know, I think Ferrari can step it up. Red Bull can step it up. But let me tell you this. We're not even 10 races into the season, I don't think. This is round nine, wasn't it? Yep. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yep. And so there's, there's, it's one of the longest seasons in F1 history, or the longest. And so there's going to be a lot of races to come by. Remember, we used to have seasons that were 16 races long. So mm. this is 13 races to go <laughs> and you could easily have a couple of DNFs. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah. easily stretch the advantage. So I think the numbers are, if we talk about race, race ending failures, DNFs, I think it's, it's Red Bull four and Ferrari three. 
It's just the way they were weighted. Obviously, um, Red Bulls all came at the beginning of the season. Two for Verstappen, mm. one for Perez, and now two for Perez. And then the Ferrari ones came later. We shouldn't forget that early on in the season, we were afraid it was going to be a boring Ferrari-dominated season. And it's turned mm. around very quickly. I think Alonso's lead is... Uh, not Alonso. Where did that come from? <laughs> You've been reading too much into it. <laughs> Ten years ago. Verstappen's <laughs> sucked into the hype. Verstappen's lead is something like 80 points, isn't it? You know, he's like he's he's a good three race wins away, is he, from the nearest non-Red Bull driver? Or maybe two race wins away. Two uh, races, yeah, yeah. I might have been confusing it with the Constructors' Championship there. I, I think that could still swing back when you're looking at these reliability figures, Jono. Yeah, and, and this could easily happen. Look, we've seen this. I think it was Imola or before Leclerc had that little spin. I went on this podcast and I said, Leclerc should take two races off and he'd still pretty much have the championship lead. Look what happened. He did take two races off. He (laughs) became a little, the driver who went on holiday for a bit in his own mind and caused all this trouble. He's had engine failures. Now he's two races behind, literally a 100 point turnaround almost. I think the thing with the Ferrari failures and why they seem more prominent is that it's happened to them when they've been in, the race lead or yeah, the leading position, yeah, yeah, whereas yeah, the Red one, Bull yeah. ones is when they were already on the back foot, then had the failures. Whereas Ferrari, I mean, we've seen it in recent history. Don't want to dunk on them too much, but they have got quite a good track record of choking and getting things wrong and stuff like that and reliability issues and spins for their drivers. So I'd like to see them come back. I don't really have much faith in them being able to do it. Kyle, I want to talk about the the hunt that we enjoyed so much. And it, it was it was thrilling, but I have to say, perhaps after the fourth chase down the back straight, I thought, hmm, this isn't this isn't gonna happen. And um you, more than any of us, have been in these racing situations, especially I know you do a lot of like rental karting, and you'll get the one car that turns really well, and you'll get the other car that is just like a rocket ship down the straight because it's got a I know the choke is like just set differently. Um the cars were just set up in such a way that a slight advantage on the straight, it was it was always going to be hard, near impossible for signs. I think he he made a really good fist of it, but yeah, just describe like the the challenge of that that driver chasing with that kind of straight line deficit. Well, it was all it was mainly all about how he was deploying the ERS energy. They were saving it all up. So Verstappen was obviously keeping a very good eye on what science was doing behind. And obviously Verstappen wasn't really deploying that much, I would say, in the first first couple of sectors. Hang on, who, who deploys it, Kyle? The driver? Well, they set strategies and how they deploy it. And they also have an overtake button. So they're obviously being allowed to hit the oh, overtake right. button and get an extra sort of deployment. And obviously you can only do that so many times. And, and, and obviously I understand all this, but for listeners who might be new to this, the overtake button, is that just tapping into some extra harvested, recovered battery energy? Yeah, it's like a, it's basically like um, a a brief, short burst of full mm-hmm. bananas mode. <laughs> it's almost like quality, quality mode that you'll get and you'll just hit it and you'll get, you know, and you drain your battery really, really fast. Obviously, that is not sustainable over a race and right. you won't be doing it much. And remember Lando Norris, I think it was at Austria a couple of years ago in his engineering, the last couple of laps saying hit the overtake button, press and hold it for five seconds on the exit of turn four when they're trying to chase down Hamilton mm. with a penalty to get his first podium. And he was instructing Lando to hold it for set amounts of seconds. So this is probably what Science and Verstappen both had. They probably knew they had so many, like mm. a certain amount of seconds they could use it per lap. So mm. they weren't using it 
much through the middle sector. And then obviously Max would save it all up to basically dump most of his battery mm. down down the straight to counteract the DRS. But, but aren't, and, they, aren't they both just doing that? So they come out of the hairpin well, and they both just dump overtake yeah, button. This is the game. So mm. where I thought science may have had the best possible chance was to actually do that for the first couple of laps. Verstappen had him sussed pretty quickly, but then don't do that. You see yes. him, I think it was about lap three. Yeah, he suddenly he they broke back DRS, to recharge. Yeah, yeah. And then actually, I think he's probably his best sort of chance would have been a George Russell or Leclerc-esque lunge into the hairpin before. So if he yeah. would have dumped and used the deployment a bit more to get close to Verstappen before the hairpin and did that, but then he would have but, been very vulnerable on the straight afterwards. Uh, but, and we were watching the timings again, obviously coming out the hairpin, he seemed to be about 0.7, 0.8 behind. That would close to about 0.4, 0.5, not close enough to overtake. And then, you know, he'd get into turn one, turn two, under half a second, but Verstappen was on it in sector one. So Verstappen was still setting purples in sector one and pulling away that gap. By the time they got to the hairpin, Matt, it was always back down to 0.8, 0.9, and it wasn't enough to then to then compensate down the straight. Yeah, and, and this is where I think you could see Leclerc with his strategy, he had the tire advantage as well, which I think let him make that lunge to the inside of turn 10, which is the hairpin. But I think you could also take what Kyle said is that fundamentally the teams work out how to deploy energy for the car and see that Ferrari was very much using the first sector to recover a lot of energy, uh, I think, relative to Red Bull. Yeah, these are Sorry, Jono, quickly then, Kyle. I was going to say the uh, energy per lap. I, I'm not sure if, uh, how the rules evolved over the years, but there's a certain amount you can use per lap. I know with the ERS too. So if you use something all along the back straight, you've got to give it up somewhere else. It, and as we spoke about before, if an overtaking driver, if it signs on, for example, Verstappen at the end of the race, they both use it at the hairpin. It can nullify the effect. Mm. That's one thing. If Verstappen decides to use it across the straight, he's got to give it up maybe in the second sector. And so if the, you, you can't overtake in that sector, well, that's the way it works. That's what you might as well go for. Okay, but here's the thing. We expected Verstappen to, to dominate today. Clearly in that final sector, Kyle, that was not him managing a gap. That was both drivers at full bananas. Is that the, is that the Yep, term? full bananas. Like that's both, a technical both term. Both drivers were full bananas. And that's what, what is, is glorious about it. You know, when you see a gap of like five seconds, you go, oh, the lead driver he was never really pushing this was both drivers really at the at the limit yeah they were absolutely pushing as hard as they could and also it's good for the tires though they weren't having to back off and cooking the tires they were both just absolutely good caning it and absolutely Mm. going for it so i think the the best way science would have had a chance to overtake it would would have been on an offset on his battery yeah. sort of strategy and how you're doing that. But they're trying to figure this out as yeah. they're driving around. And also the teams don't really nope. want to tell them because the other team would just instantly hear and just tell them and just say, well, he's going to use his battery in mm. sector two. So yeah, exactly. just do the same to match him. Okay, you're wrong. Signs' best chance at winning this was a Verstappen mistake. And in this situation, we just do not see, annoyingly, Jono, we don't, in this situation, we do not see Verstappen stuff mm. it. 
It's not 2019 no. Canada, the last no. time we raced. Yeah, it wasn't Sebastian Vettel going off the tracks. We didn't see Verstappen switching pit boards. It, it wasn't one of those situations. Yeah, yeah look, Vettel, Vettel switching pit boards, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was actually, funnily enough, yeah. that was the last time we raced here. It's actually hard to believe, you know, that yeah. that was the last time we're at Montreal. But um, you look, at the end of the day, I, I this might be a controversial take. I have got so much more to say other than this lead battle. I felt like the lead battle was simple. Someone couldn't take someone else. It was interesting. I enjoyed it. But the the rest of the midfielders and and the rest of that was so entertaining behind. Jono, I hear you. Let's move on. Let's just nibble behind a little bit because there's been a, a huge amount of talk about the Mercedes recovery. Lewis Hamilton has had his head and his chin firmly buried into his sternum for most of the season after the uh, season opener. And we're starting to see little glimmers of hope. So the journey has been they're porpoising too much. They've got no pace. They're absolutely nowhere. In Barcelona, they threw us a cruel nugget of hope. And by us, I mean people who would wish Mercedes and Hamilton well. Uh, I've given away my bias. Again, a feature, not a bug. Kyle has been a Ferrari fan and a Schumacher fan. Yet, despite that, we are somehow able to remain friends. I don't know how, but we've managed it. Matt has incorrectly been an Ocon fan, even when he was up against the magnificent Perez and my kebab meat and chips Fernando Alonso and Jono presumably supports Daniel Ricciardo. Don't argue, Jono. You're Australian. That's how it works. You supported Mark Webber. Now you support Daniel Ricciardo. So for those well-wishers, the people who were wishing well for Mercedes, Barcelona was a nugget of hope. Monaco obviously didn't didn't really show. You know, that street circuit kind of vibe didn't quite click. And then Baku did nothing to really dispel the the myth that the the thought that they hadn't got a hold of the porpoising the bumps at, at, at Azerbaijan really did seem to unsettle this Barcelona solution Toto Wolf was asked what's going on he said well we need a marble racetrack it's not this Baku is not the smooth track we need also Montreal is not the smooth track we need but given that this was a track that was not meant to be the start of the the resurgence of Mercedes, and we've been looking forward, again, we, the royal we of, uh, of Mercedes apologists, given that Silverstone was meant to be the resurgence, things, I think, looked reasonably positive here in Montreal. And I tweeted that things looked good, and a lot of people yelled at me and said, no, it was still rubbish. So, Jono. Is this is this a good race? Is this race a good sign for Mercedes? Who the hell knows? You know why? Because <laughs> when we went to Monaco, <laughs> we all thought slow speeds at Monaco. We all thought, okay, the, this porpoising issue is happening at high speeds on straights. Mercedes are going to win Monaco. They got such a great car. They were even worse. They yeah. were suffering so badly. Street track. Baku. Baku. Exactly. Baku. Another street track. Street Same track. Thing, as you say. Yeah. Bang. Canada street track. This is a street circuit. And can I tell you something? This circuit is notorious for bumps. Those braking zones are terrible at Montreal. And for some reason, the car's performing well. They don't understand the problem. Obviously, we don't understand it. Nobody understands it. What is going on with that car at Mercedes? Uh, Well, it's actually a pretty easy um, answer. It's two parts. One, uh, we had a green track to race on, which if you will call uh, Miami. 
Mercedes please, please on explain the Friday looked uh, a quite green, well on the green track. Please explain a green track. Oh, I'm sorry. A green track means one that's not had a lot of race cars driving on it. Therefore, there's not a lot of rubber on the racing line okay. for the tires to interact okay, with. Okay, so we think that's Mercedes are performing better on a green track. Uh, that's one. And oh, okay. then the other is even simpler. If you were just to look at the um, speed trap numbers during the race, you'd see that the fastest lap that I think Lewis Hamilton did, he hit a maximum of about 280 kilometers an hour in the speed trap, which doesn't mean it's his fastest speed. But just as a fixed point of reference, that's what it was. And I'd say that the speeds are below the speeds that really cause them the big problems. Whereas in Azerbaijan, you had the exact opposite problem. Yeah. Not only did you have bumps, you had massive high speed. So I think it's reasonable at this point to assume that any track that falls into those categories is going to be probably a good one for them. I think Spain, that was certainly not a green track. Like that to me was Formula 2, Formula 3 racing there. A lot of rubber laid Super out. Super smooth though. It's, it's smoother. Mercedes were very quick there. You know, they had race pace to some people allege they could have won the race. I don't think so. I think they were the second best car behind Red Bull. But the point is, is that I, I just don't think anyone knows what this problem is and how to fix it. And and if they did, it would be fixed by now. They've had enough time since preseason testing. It's weird. Some people <laughs> allege that it was initially porpoising. Now it's become this bouncing issue. It's a separate issue. I've got no clue. I just need a break from figuring this out. <laughs> just focus on next year's car. I don't know. Change the rules. Do you know what? I found myself, uh, I was on a little jog and I found myself like thinking, well, you know, trying to solve the problem for Mercedes and going, well, they, they need to send a spy into Red Bull and find out where those inter internal side pod supports are. Kyle. Yeah. Another thing to add to the Mercedes issues is the um, the car and the chassis. They said it's incredibly stiff and rigid and it's got a bad ride issue now think back to 2013 mclaren when they changed to a pull rod front suspension and it was just the drivers were complaining massively massively of the ride and they got the suspension kinematics slightly slightly wrong and they had a horrible ride on the car mm. and that's what ferrari struggled with a little bit in 2012 kyle also, in 2013 when mclaren put certain components upside down and it made no difference Pretty much, I think. Yeah, yeah. it was when it was Terrace's yeah, yeah. first year with McLaren. Wasn't that mm -hmm. the year where they had a full like Only sail year. at the back? The like blockers a, on the, the rear suspension. The big blockers on the rear suspension, mm -hmm. and that got dumped very quickly. <laughs> yeah, so so Mercedes has has a few issues, and Toto Wolff has sort of alluded to it, that they're just trying to figure it out. So they're either slamming it on the ground, uh, whether they raise it up or not, they're still getting porpoising, but the porpoising mm -hmm. is only one, sort of, um, only sort of one sort of facet to the problem. They've got really hard suspension they've got much more simplified suspension systems on all cars this year and their chassis is very very rigid very stiff the car's got a poor ride so i think they've got three or four individual problems and finding out i've had this with electron beam guns and machines before when you have so many problems in one as you will know as well being yeah, an engineer, yeah, yeah, yeah. they mask each other and it's yeah. really hard to pinpoint where the actual problem is so they're a little bit lost but they seem to be happier after the race toto said in an interview that we at least know we have a direction to head in now we we think we have a direction because look at friday hamilton yeah. was very despondent and said it was a yeah. complete disaster and so they've changed the setup and all of a sudden in the race it was like it works it's just got an incredibly small window they just need to know where that window is and i think they're slowly starting to figure it out that was quite good matt uh, gave an interview where he said we need to go into business 
selling tarmac and smoothing out tracks and go around the world, making sure that every track is like a, a marble table. Yes. Well, I know someone we can introduce him to because we've oh, interviewed him already. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to make the point that Barcelona is a lower speed track for overall top speed. And I think those are the two parameters Mercedes are looking at. The, the higher the speed, the more problems they have. And then the bumpier the pavement the more problems they have. Okay. I meant to say this uh, in the Red Bull versus Ferrari battle. Quick diversion mm-hmm. back to that. Do, do, sure. we, do we think that now the kind of point and square street circuits are, are, are more or less done with, apart from Singapore, maybe the Ferrari philosophy of higher downforce and, and less straight line speed at the moment, maybe that will like, bode well better at tracks like Silverstone at Paul Ricard, where you can use that extra downforce to either get away or get closer down the straight. Like because today, it was all about getting it stopped at the hairpin, and then both Leclerc and Signs were really struggling, basically getting the power to the back wheels. So their their extra aerodynamic downforce didn't really do them any favors because it was all about mechanical grip, getting the weight to the back wheels, and then getting going. And by the time they did that, Red Bull Honda had that straight line advantage could that go away i i can't help banging the drum and just reminding everyone matt that we have had six out of nine races on temporary circuits which don't have those high to medium downforce corners necessarily and and that things could look very very different once we get into the european season Uh, and you're absolutely right Uh, the each of these tracks tends to be, especially the street tracks, tends to be its own individual thing. And it's always going to come down to balancing the car mm. correctly between the front and rear axle to protect the tires. I think Ferrari had won that battle today, but Red Bull were fortunate with the timing of mm. the random incidents that we love Montreal for. And I think we can see it tip back and forth. And it's going to be, I think it might be hard to pick out who does best at what circuit, because I think both cars are kind of inside the window where either can take it Mm. if they absolutely nail down the setup relative to the rival. I enjoy this. It might be, and I mean, I could be wrong with this, but the first time in the turbo hybrid era where you kind of don't know who's going to win on a race weekend. Every time you come in, you probably know it's Red Bull or Ferrari. So maybe that's a point proven. But it reminds me of 2007. Yes, I apologize for going back 15 years. But that year, for people who didn't watch Formula One back then, you didn't know (laughs) if it was going to be Ferrari or McLaren at the time who were going to win. And every race, it was different. You're like, okay, look, oh, Ferrari's got the fastest car. Oh, no, wait, next race, it's actually McLaren. And you didn't know. And I feel like it's the same here this season at the moment. If Mercedes go to Silverstone, it all clicks. It's a nice smooth track with lots of high to medium speed corners and Mercedes go and pick up a one-two. That kind of blows the season wide open and you go, ah, we really do not know track to track which team is going to win. But I would like to zoom in for a second and go to the Mercedes inter-team battle, which may or may not exist. So certainly there's a lot of people who dislike Lewis Hamilton, who would like to see the end of the Hamilton era, who have been picking up on saying, well, Russell has 
been beating Hamilton. I think he's beat him the last four or five races in a row. And then the Hamilton fans have been going, oh, but, but, oh, not so fast, not so fast. The safety cars have been, he's been cursed. He's had a safety car curse. He's, he's angered the safety car gods. But uh, I, I don't personally think that there is a real battle in Mercedes. I, I think they are internally solving problems at the moment. I think it's far too early to draw comparisons between Hamilton and Russell's performance. But Jono, that that battle has certainly been playing out in the media and in social media. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You have to look at the bigger picture. Formula One is not a football or basketball where you always know somebody's going to kick better. Generally, they're going to win. I know it's not the best analogy, but in F1, there's a lot of luck that, that comes into hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Australia, Hamilton was, was the quicker driver. Yeah. You know, um, what was the other race? It was the second one later on where I thought Hamilton was better. Spain, that's the one I'm thinking of, where he was so much quicker than yeah, Russell. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's Lewis Hamilton's issue. It's qualifying. Every time he qualifies poorly, it puts himself in a bad position and he falls to bad luck during the race. If he would qualified better than Russell and was in a better position, Russell would be the person who suffers from that bad luck instead. And so finally, Lewis Hamilton has qualified ahead. He's got a great position. It rained. He got a bit of luck on his hands with, with Russell deciding to go to slicks. And look at Lewis's race. He's finally got a podium. So I think if Lewis can sort out qualifying, which is more important to me than his race pace, I think he's going to have and win that intra-team battle. Yeah, that's um, that's quite right. Um, I don't know whether I want to say he will completely win it because I think Russell has been very, very good and very strong this year. But if we look it all out on paper, and as we've pointed out already, um, yeah, Hamilton's had some awful luck with the safety car. And we haven't had many races where they've had a direct comparison in clear air on race pace, where they've not been caught up or been in a yeah. messy sort of situation. And I was surprised this race because, again, throughout the weekend, Russell was looking like the stronger or the more comfortable driver again. But then come race day, Lewis seemed to have comfortably the better race pace today. Like when, as um, Maria Clados in the um, chat, oh, right, hello, live rightfully chat. points out, hello, <laughs> hey, patrons. Yep, um, uh, rightfully points out when the tire strategies were neutralized, Lewis was consistently 
faster. And this is what happened in the last stint. I think he put four seconds on Russell in that final stint yeah. after the safety yeah. car. And I expected Russell to be giving him a hard time. And we haven't really seen them in clear air together yeah. on a representative strategy, on, on a comparable strategy. So actually, I think there's nothing, nothing to choose between the two drivers at the moment. Uh, so I have loads, I want to say, about the teammate battle in Mercedes in the race today. But I want to make the point right now, I believe Hamilton has already ceded that battle to Russell because he said, give me all the experiments. Yeah. Yeah. They and he said, give yeah, me yeah. all the experiments. I'm the lead driver. Give me the funky stuff and we'll <laughs> see if it works. And I think that is consistently put his weekend behind Russell's and his pace today demonstrates that it, that if Mercedes had turned up with a car that was like a Red Bull or Ferrari in terms of being ready for battle, uh, you know, I, I would, I would lean, I think, I think Hamilton's going to take it, but I don't think Hamilton cares right now. I yeah. think he wants a car that can yeah, win. He's, he's not race. looking at Russell. He's looking at, at fixing the car. Uh, yeah. Jono. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, that that's a good point as well, is that he's trying to find solutions rather than care about beating his teammate. He doesn't really mm. care too much about that, but I will say this. And, and I always say this, look at the bigger picture. And if these two had raced and there was only two cars per race, if it was a, like a 2005 USA situation every race <laughs> yeah. a season. Um, it's 50-50. You know, Russell's had Hamilton half the time and Hamilton's had him. Now, the points difference, it, it shows a different picture because of you have to understand Formula One is not just about pure pace. There's mechanical failures, luck, safety mm. cars. Mm. That's what can make someone look worse. The pure example, Spanners, is last year. How everyone thought science was so much better than Leclerc. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. But uh, Leclerc hang on. wiped the floor with him. I wiped was, the floor with I him was year, even though he scored less points. I was a lone voice of sanity. And, and two of the main protagonists are here in your podcast windows here, Kyle and Matt. <laughs> Well, yeah. I was with you, remember? It's yeah, two yeah. It was just, two it was just us two. It was us two yeah, against exactly. those idiots. Uh, but look, um, I think Mercedes, the the the, the jury is out um, on their their solution. We saw very much in 2021. Don't count them out. They turned up at Brazil with just a package that annihilated the field, and that that performance at the end of the 2021 season from Brazil to Abu Dhabi was extraordinary. Before that. Uh, Red Bull and Verstappen had it. They had the run, and then you know, and then that they they turned up with something. This is a team that can turn up and click and be formidable. That gap is massive right now, but like Jono said, it is a a very long season, and uh, not for this show. But Jono, you were talking about qualifying. I've come under I've come under flack for this because I think Lewis Hamilton is statistically the greatest qualifier of like all time. <laughs> But I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of his approach to qualifying. You know, I think he does kind of go a little bit all or nothing in qualifying. And, and a lot of the time, I, I just think like he would have done better if he'd have gone 99% instead of 100%. Are you saying he makes too many mistakes? I, I think he, I, yeah, I think he, he sometimes over pushes in, in qualifying. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember mm. back in the uh, early McLaren days in 2010 to 2012, I always remember in Q3 when he was on that final lap, I'm like, I bet you he's going to lock up here on his yeah. final run. He had issues like that. But then there were times where you're like, when he's on it, he set some of the greatest laps you've ever seen in history, you know? Um, so, mm. yeah, I mean, you might have a point there, but end of the day, I don't want to overthink it. You know, no. they're, they're the third quickest car. Let's just 
wait until they got a good car again before we start criticizing either Russell or Hamilton. By the way, you can't criticize Russell. Actually, he's doing really no, well. But we are going to move on to the fourth quickest car. Alpine, Matt, it's a, in, yeah. the, in the battle between mm-hmm. your favorite driver at the moment, yep. Esteban Ocon, and yes. my guilty pleasure, Fernando Alonso. It's a bad day for you because Fernando Alonso was 100 million billion times faster than Ocon. He said so himself and he would never, ever tell a lie. Yes. Well, yes. And there we were at the end of the race with Ocon (laughs) slowing down. So Alonso could use DRS to stay ahead of Botas. And then Alonso was spitting in his face. That gift horse's mouth was getting punched on the nose. Ah, well, it's all right. So if you're Fernando Alonso, it's bad enough that the luck of the, the virtual safety car has seen your teammate ahead of you. And it's even worse when you have to, despite knowing how much faster you were, you have to take advantage of his um, kindness to just stay ahead of Botas, but then to be served with a penalty, a five-second penalty for swerving to keep Botas out of the way. So Alonso, who was quicker, qualified second, actually finished ninth, and Ocon has Mm. quite extended his lead (laughs) in the championship points over Alonso. Yeah. That is breaking news, everybody. That did come during the podcast, that that five-second penalty. Now he's into ninth. Alpha's got more points. I'll tell you this. I agree with everything Trump had said just then, except the luck factor. I'm sorry, but not pitting under the second virtual safety car. That's not luck. That's stupidity. I don't know any idea what they were doing right there. This is what I was referring to earlier, Jono. He passed the pits. He did not have the opportunity to pit under that safety car. So, you know, so that was it. So then yep. he came the second time around. He yep. didn't have the opportunity. He All right. Well, not. then I take that back. I'm sorry, Alpine. I was wrong. Because he was too good. He was so far ahead that he out he outpaced the virtual safety car pit window. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Kyle. So both times. Both oh, was VSCs it? Was it happened. Ah, uh, yeah. They, yeah. they missed both the VSCs and they pitted essentially under, under green lap, I think, like under green flag conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they were kind of, a, Martin Brundle said the sort of similar phrase, in previous races, they were kind of goal hanging, I think maybe, but the, again, <laughs> was it glory running? Were they just trying to keep themselves at the front? Yeah. But it seemed like a bit of a, a nonsensical strategy. Otmar did say after the race that the two stop just wouldn't work for them, but why? Cause they were hemorrhaging time at the mm. front. Yeah. It was a second a lap at one point, Matt. And you just go, well, pff. well, I'm going to defend them on the first stop. They did the opposite to Hamilton there. Mm. Hamilton went in on the first VSC. They stayed out. Uh, that's, that's rational. But if they had the opportunity to stop for the second one, like I know the second time round, he didn't get to the pits in time. So I defend them on that. But if he, if they had the opportunity the first time round, then yeah, that's, that's a kind of big seize on their part. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll reserve my criticism until I look at the evidence and see when that car failed. Who was the second one? Was it Schumacher, right? The second one or was Perez the first Schumacher one? Was Perez, the second one? Yeah. Schumacher yeah. then Sonoda. So, so yeah. I'm going to see when that car pulled over and you have to anticipate that a VSC is about to be called out. So if they're on the final straight and they've seen the news, I'm sorry, but that's not an mm-hmm. excuse. You got to come in. Um, but, but 
we'll reserve the criticism, Alpine, because oh. we, we're not wrong, but we're first. In the olden days, that would not have been a VSC. That would have been double waved yellows. And I think there's a bit of a... It's been like, I think, the last three years where they have been much more trigger-happy with the VSCs, Carl. Yeah, I think the uh, race directors get paid a commission on how many VSCs <laughs> yeah, they throw. Probably. Okay. Yeah, they're yeah, probably okay. commission-based. Well, um, but <laughs> so just as Jolly said, yeah, you can predict when... It, if it's going to be a VSC, and that was an identity, it was at the same corner, an identical situation to Perez. So you know you can safely assume that that is going to be, or presume even that that is going to be a VSC. And Russell and Mercedes called it right. They were in the pit lane before the VSC was called. They knew it was going to be a VSC and pulled the trigger on it. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I couldn't make head nor tail of the Alpine strategy. And also it was a bit weird because Alonso was offset on the strategy, but he did say afterwards that from about lap 20, he had this clipping problem and an mm-hmm. engine problem. So they, mm-hmm. I was surprised when they pitted him again because he was offset on strategy. And I think they intentionally put him behind Ocon, knowing that he'd plummet down the pack if he didn't have mm-hmm. his teammate riding shotgun for him ahead to give him the yeah, DRS. But it was the best clipping though, Jono. A hundred times better clipping than Ocon <laughs> could have ever dreamed of. Magical, magical Mag- clipping. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He does play the political game very well. One thing, actually, quick 10-second off topic is I miss the angry Alonso radio messages. You know, I think the last one we ever had was the Karma one in 2017 Monza, but 2005, 2006 Alonso, man, he was a crazy back yeah, then. Passion. Some of the stuff he used to say, yeah, yeah. yeah like it was crazy. But um, breaking news about the penalty, we know he's got a five-second penalty now. Mm. Um, I'm glad that they penalized that. Because in my opinion, if it's the final lap of the championship um, as of 2021 and you swerve four times, five times to break the toe, um, you can affect a race result and affect uh, an overtake. And exactly what he did should be penalized. And that will set the scene for the rest of the season. Don't be weaving 400 times on a straight if you're 400 times better than your teammate. Don't weave. Don't deliberately go off in qualifying. He's making a right name for himself at the moment Kyle he is he is bothering the scorers but everyone loves it and it's magical yeah and so 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 let's embrace it and promote it I guess yeah and um, that's how it yeah. works isn't it but yeah. um yeah so no he is he has very much been playing been playing the villain and to be honest this kind of harps back to um McLaren sort of Honda thing he was very vocal in the press saying that was the best qualifying mm. lap I've ever done we don't yeah. look like amateurs very very you know I'm doing a great a great job here and I'm you know, I'm, I'm not I, at the front. I think he's very angry that he's not at the front. And to yeah. be honest, he has the skill. He's an amazing driver. So he wants to be, but he's very vocal in trying to remind everybody and playing these little tricks like parking it and qualifying, like um, cutting corners and doing the, according to Twitter, thousand IQ moves on turn mm. ones and just cut it. And he's almost trying mm. to taunt the officials. He called them incompetent in Miami. <laughs> he's trying to sort of taunt uh, them. So I'm surprised they've pulled him up on it this time. Oh dear. It's, yeah. It's a guilty pleasure, but you know, I'm still, I'm still go, I'm still go Nando, but we do, we do have to play a little game by the way. Uh, we forgot in the Mercedes bit, but little game. Whose fault is it? Where? Right. We've been a little bit unlucky this season for the Whose Fault Is It segment because it's actually been reasonably clean. I think in 2021, there was about 18 Whose Fault Is It Is's incidents with every race. But there's not been actually that many this season. But going forward, I, I want this game to continue. So I want you to know the rules. So basically, in my marriage, we have the opposite of Mercedes no blame strategy whenever anything goes wrong in our household 
we have to immediately establish whose fault is it. If there was a fire, we wouldn't just run away. We would stop. We would argue about who caused the fire. And once we'd established it was my fault, we would then gather the the pets and our favorite child. So in the spirit of that, we at Miss Apex Podcast do not acknowledge racing incidents. It is always mostly someone's fault. And in this race, we only really had one incident, but I do want to play it. So it was Kevin Magnuson, who eventually got a meatball flag for his front wing being at a 45 degree angle <laughs> and knock on going, oh my goodness, Magnuson's front wing, it, it spikes and fire is coming off of it. I, I'm scared for my life. The front wing is going to come through and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bury my, my ancestors again and cover my, my descendants in, in curses. It was just a little bit of a flappy carbon wing. But whose fault was it? Kyle, second time we have seen Magnuson and Hamilton come together. Yes, um, because I'm not allowed to say it's a racing incident, I'm going to have to say um, I'm going to have to say it's on Magnuson. I think this one, because again, let's look at the context of it. You're in a house. He knows he's not going to have the race pace. He made a very good start and is, and is very, very aggressive trying to overtake around the outside on an extremely tight corner <laughs> on the start of the race on a street okay. circuit and rubbing wheel to wheel. It's, it, it's like, why are you even putting yourself into that situation in the first place? You've <laughs> probably watched every Canadian Grand Prix since the late eighties. Have you ever seen anyone get an overtaking on the outside of, you know, out on the outside of turn three? It's a, if you are not fully ahead, it's a not very, in the dry. yeah, it's a very, very difficult place to claim that corner. But he wasn't ahead. He was behind and he was still squeezing Hamilton the same way he did in Barcelona. I think like if you squeeze someone to the point where they cannot possibly leave the apex, I, I think you have to say that is not a good tactic going forward for, for Magnussen. No, um, to be fair on Magnussen, Hamilton didn't leave him a lot of room on the outside. He he left that very, very tight, particularly coming out of turn two. It was extremely tight. And then I think when Hamilton realised he was there, he gave him a bit more room. But again, Magnussen leaning on him, what, what realistically was he going to achieve mm. if he got ahead in a in a miracle move he would have been repassed pretty quickly again and probably would have cost mm. him himself time but he got a mega run he's a very aggressive driver he had their best team qualifying results so he's absolutely going for it and he has every right to go for it it just probably mm. wasn't the most logical mm. thing to go for so very unfortunate but i'd say slightly more magnuson yeah, it's it's not quite 2021. This is one of the harshest uh, whose fault is it uh, <laughs> segments that we've we've had because it was it was good racing. I thought it was tough. Elbows out. Guys are racing hard, and and just enough room was left. It wasn't like Spain. You know, Spain was obviously much worse for both these two. Um, but again, yeah, I, I think Magnussen did everything right except was one millimeter in the wrong. And so I, you, it's kind of very harsh blaming him for that. I think a better whose fault is it segment is saying, is it Sonoda's fault or is it the wall's <laughs> fault? Oh, no, wait, it was Yuki Sonoda. What a terrible accident. I'd just like to sort of um, revisit. It is very, very harsh. I'm uncomfortable saying putting that completely on Magnuson. Yeah. And really, I do think it's a bit of a racing incident because the contact you could barely see it. It was minimal. Okay. It was a it was a love okay. rock. It was a it was a whisper, and his wing to get damaged like that. I don't think is the punishment okay. didn't wait, fit wait, the wait. crime. Right, you coach 
your nephew and crying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Look at Barcelona. Look at this now. He's come off worse in both those situations, trying to chase a faster car, both times around the outside, both times squeezing very tight the inside car. Would you advise now your nephew to, to, to keep doing that or to go, dude, no, that's not the no. one? No, I would tell him to look at the bigger picture. What are you realistically mm. realistically going to achieve by getting through there? You're mm. probably going to get passed again. You're going to cost yourself more time overall in in race pace. You know the Mercedes is going to be quicker in race pace than you, m- most likely. Tuck in. You Yes, you had a great one. Yeah, exactly. Tuck in and follow them rather than try to make, you know, uh, uh, spherical objects to the wall move around the outside. Just, yeah, just maybe calm down a little bit on the first lap. Look, let's be, let's be honest. If this was NASCAR, you wouldn't even have to buy the other car a drink for the contact that occurred. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah. As far as Magnuson goes, I don't know if I would argue that because you have three laps essentially without DRS and, and the Haas was there or thereabouts with the Mercedes, especially early in the race. That's, that's, that's maybe in a second or two he can gain mm. before the Mercedes gets the DRS and goes by him. And then maybe he gets a little DRS advantage. That said, the way it worked out, it was unfortunate that he was called in to fix that right before he had the opportunity Mm. to do it for way less cost anyway. Okay. Super, super quick interruption. I don't want to bother anyone, but we are a Patreon supported podcast patreon.com forward slash missed apex the link is in the show notes below you can have an ad free podcast feed uh you get a link and you put that into your podcast player in the search box and then you get an ad free feed and uh, at the second tier you get bonus content which is worse but you get to hear us winching about like a just a, a range of stuff but most importantly you are helping an independent podcast compete with the 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 podcasts that have big backers and websites behind them and stuff like that so i would recommend to anyone who is a podcast fan take the same amount of money that you would use to uh, that you have for your podcast subscriptions sorry for your uh, music subscriptions for your audiobook subscriptions and spread that uh, amongst podcasters as well not just us but if you want to support independent podcast creators uh, then they will thrive and survive otherwise the podcast realm will only be populated by the corporations. So if you want to stick one to the man, that's Matt, I haven't messed up there. That's not that's not inappropriate. No, if you want to the man, as in the corporate man, if you want to yes. support the little guys, support podcasts. Patreon.com forward slash mistapex or any podcast in the podcast realm. But Matt, I want to turn to you. Alpha, Romeo, and Haas. Both looks good today. Uh, they did. I mean, so let's be very clear. We saw, and full credit to you, we saw Joe at Monaco make an amazing save. Yeah. Coming down the hill. And you're like, uh, maybe there's just something to this Just a little bit of a thing, just a little bit. Yeah. Tiny. And he then showed up in, in Baku and, and before the unfortunateness absolutely showed his teammate a pair of heels and he showed up in Canada and has done the same thing again. Now, granted alpha has been showcasing their uh, renowned lack of reliability a bit. Um, 
And and that that didn't help Valtteri out much. But Joe seems to have suddenly gotten to grips with the car and racing um, much more quickly than I'd say perhaps Tsunoda did. And uh, he was well set to be finishing seventh in today's race before the safety car uh, validated the uh, bet that Alpha made on running Botas long on the hard tires. Yeah, Joe had an incredibly good weekend. It was so nice to hear him whooping on the radio when he got into Q3. Really good. And to be honest, to try to make it up up the grid and fight and battle it in that in Alfa Romeo, which looked to have a big straight line speed disadvantage, they just couldn't make it work. I wrote it in my notes before they mentioned it on the commentary. I was like, they can't pass. They have no straight, they're really struggling on top end straight line speed. So to keep your head, to not make mistakes and, you know, he yes, Bottas had a bit of a scruffy weekend, you know, mechanical wise, it wasn't really his fault, but he, he's outperformed Bottas, you know, and we know how good and how much of a known quantity Bottas is. So extremely strong showing from, from Joe and, and yeah, really, really nice to see. And the good part for them, especially Bottas was that he started the race on going long. So he didn't really have to try to overtake too many people. He started on the hards, pitted at the safety car. The race worked out perfectly for him. Um, Joe two stopped, pitted at the, the safety car as well. Uh, the thing with them is they were terrible in, in the first two practice sessions. Now, of course, yes, it's practice. They can be experimenting and doing stuff, but I, I thought, wow, this might be Alpha's worst race of the year. Then the rain came, and of course, qualifying helped them out. Um, so, yeah, Alpha and Haas were, were looking very good, but the, the argument I have, and this is something I throw out to, to everybody here on the panel, anybody listening to the podcast at the moment, is would they have performed so well, Alpha and Haas, if it didn't rain in qualifying? And that's where I'm a little bit concerned. Kyle? Um, possibly not i don't think over uh definitely definitely has i don't think in the dry had had very good pace and it just shows that look as much as i'm a mick schumacher fan um <laughs> he hasn't been doing very well this year and the fact that in the wet that both cars were on the third row says that that shows that that car works really really well in the wet so i think it played into their hands the alphas they've been pretty solid all most of the year to be fair bottas has put some great great performances in so i think it helped Haas a lot more than it helped alpha but qualifying matters less if we're talking about race pace then i'd say that the haas looked quite fast as long as they lasted i mean magnuson was up there but he made an interesting comment and I think this is this is what i really wanted to highlight about haas and how they did this weekend because in qualifying he said, we had no operational errors at all. I got put mm. out every time yeah. when I could make lap time. Nothing went wrong. Like, <laughs> this is possibly the first time I've ever seen Haas the team on top of operations the way that they need to be mm-hmm. to take advantage of all the other stuff that's working well for them right now. And remember, we spoke about them a, a few podcasts ago. Their upgrade, or their only upgrade of the year so far, is not coming until is it Austria or France coming up? It's not coming for a while until July. So, to me, I'm actually disappointed in how the start of their season has gone. They're notoriously a team who starts well. They put all their budget and resources into this car. They needed to be scoring way more points than they have so far. 
um, because that car, in my opinion, is only going to get slower and, and worse because technically, obviously, lower budget means means less development. So they have to score points early on. And again, another missed opportunity today. You've got two cars that should have taken a great haul of points and it just keeps happening to them. And they really need to figure out a way to, to stay consistent and score points and not risk anything. Keep it risk-free. Yeah. And that's why it's such a shame with what happened to Magnussen on the first mm, lap yeah. because actually I've just noticed now uh, he pitted on lap seven to change that front wing, stuck a set of hard tires on and went to the end. Oh, he did 63 no laps <laughs> on those hard tires. So he had, so that just shows they had some pretty yeah. good tire Wait, deck as well. Didn't even pit during the safety car. Nope. Nope. He was last or yep. at, at, during the safety car as well. Something must've happened there. Uh, that, that sounds I very don't know fishy. Why, unless the graphic yeah. is wrong, but this is showing 63 <laughs> laps on hard tires, which is, which is incredible. No, yeah. they didn't come in. And so he was 12 when they restarted after the safety car. And, and clearly ah, they were, they were hoping he would then. be able yeah. to defend that position. But the reality is the, the hard tires were good for 50 laps. They were not good for 63 laps. Okay. And, well, look, I want to kind of end this race segment of the show by asking you guys what you think about the safety car lottery. So, when the virtual safety car comes out, uh, they get a cheap pit stop. So instead of a 20-second pit stop, they get a 10-second pit stop. When there's a safety car, pretty much if you are mid-race and you have gaps of like four or five seconds, you can come in and maybe just lose one or two places but come out on fresh tyres with the, the crocodile bunched up. I asked the very simple question, would it be so bad if we just closed the pit lane during these safety cars. Kyle? I'm absolutely, completely against this. We had this rule when, and, and oddly back in the refueling era, to try to neutralise the luck aspect to it. Yeah. And we had cars conking out of fuel, um, closing the pit lane. They do this in oval racing and it flips everything on its head. It's getting your pit stop in before the safety car or before the caution comes out. Uh, no, I think it's a part and parcel of Formula One um, and it's how you play it and the luck and what position of it's just a luck game. And also some people are prepared to take a risk like Red Bull being bold at the start because we know we're going to lose a couple of positions, but let's okay. just sort Hang of on. take it. So I think that would be mm. very, very bad to then close okay. the pit lane, bunch them all up. And then the whole field would just react to each other and essentially do the same thing. Help me understand this. So Sonoda, Sin- no, hang on. Who was first to go off? Perez. Oh, that hurts. So Perez had that gearbox <laughs> issue and parks up people pitted to get a cheaper pit stop had Perez gone off and they had said okay so pit lane is closed you can only pit if you were damaged from the incident that caused the virtual safety car and and if you if you if you're in that situation then that yes you fix the the issue but there's also a five second hold or, or there's a minimum pit stop time for people pitting during this issue everyone else can't pit during that time the race is properly neutralized what is the issue with that well because then you'd be left in a it could work but i you'd be left in a bizarre situation where you'd either have the whole field doing nothing yeah or you'd have the whole field all piling into the pit lane and have like a pit lane race or you have a half the field doing that and then circling down so that's what i'm saying close the pit lane close it well, if you close it during VSC, yeah. like I don't mind that. 
I think safety car though, you can't, like Carl's saying, right? I, I think closing it during a, a full safety car period is a bit, nah, because you like yeah. to have that sprint after a safety car. Everyone's close. The gaps are there. But yeah, VSE like to save yeah. 10 seconds that can change someone's race. Like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a, it's an interesting I, concept. I, I don't see the downside, Kyle, of closing the pit lane during a virtual safety car. Uh, maybe not from through a virtual safety car, but then also what happens if you were just about coming up to your pit stop and mm. you're then um, drive through penalty. Then, yeah. Or you're just coming up to your pit stop and you need to make it on the tires. Mm. You're then penalized because. Well, hang on, Carl, got... but, but by the end of the virtual safety car, I know it doesn't really work out like this, but at the end of the virtual safety car, you should have exactly the same gap as before mm. the virtual safety car. You've not been pushing, so you're not using your tires. So you just pit as planned. Well, no, but then your tires will lose temperature massively because you've got loads of less tread on it and you won't be able to fire them back up. So so I think you would then unfairly penalise people who are just about to hit the pits. I think you just pit. No, like your solution there, Kyle, right, is like, yeah, your temperature's gone. You're pitting anyway. So just come in and pit. And look, if you have to pit during a closed window, as we talked about, just make it a drive-through penalty afterwards. Or, or, you know, or, don't, don't... or, or say there's a minimum but pit stop time during a VSC. But there's, mm. what are you trying to fix exactly? Well, just the lottery, luck. I think. Yeah, just the luck element. Like, Matt, you're what, just Matt, causing Matt, luck Matt, elements in other. Matt, what's your take it's... on this? Well, my take on it is you can win or lose places during a virtual safety car. The gaps are meant to stay roughly the same, mm. but they don't. You can, through clever use of your uh, delta per mini sector, gain or lose time on your rivals. And this does happen. And we've seen it play out advantageously in places like Monaco for Red Bull, for example. Um, I have less of an issue, therefore, closing, uh, keeping the pit lane open during a virtual safety car because it's not as big of a gain as a safety car. Yeah. I think the problem with the safety car is because the gaps collapse. Because the gaps close, yeah. Yeah. Cars with cars with a big enough gap get a free stop and fresh tires, which lends them a competitive advantage against cars that can't do that without losing position. So if I was going to close it for anything, it would be for the full safety car, although I'm willing to see to Kyle his point. Then what you get is a mad scramble to get in before it's declared. So if you if if you close the pit lane for a full safety car, the leaders uh, might have to then they lose all the advantage of any lead they've built up. They can't pit for fresh tires, so they could end up with a gap closed that they earned. They earned that gap, but then yep. they then they have like worn tires and they end up d- dropping back down the field. So I do accept that the the safe full safety car is a different issue, but virtual safety car maybe because the whole point of the virtual safety car is to neutralize the race. If you can pit during the virtual safety car, it does not neutralize the race yeah but so the reason for doing this would be try to mitigate luck but then it just causes luck in other aspects <laughs> so it's, so it kind of does not cure a problem you'll just have other people like if you cancel it if you close a pit lane under a full safety car then if you're say you've got red bull or mercedes one two then the second driver or the second in the queue is mm. going to be completely and utterly nailed and ruined on it they can't stack them or do, or do anything like that so so why yeah, you're trying to solve a problem and causing other problems. 
Yeah, look, I, I think full safety car is bad because what this is what happens, right? Let's say you're leading by 400 hours. And then what they say <laughs> is they go, oh, so pit now. Oh, now you're only leading by one second. Oh, but I was going to pit. So now you pit and now all of a sudden you're 19th. Yeah, you can't do it during a safety car period. But I hope that made sense because it made sense to me. But <laughs> virtual safety car, um, I completely agree. You can close the lane because then yeah. it, it, it's everybody's Good. the same. Nobody loses gaps. Okay. And just pit for tires later on. There's no refueling Good. to deal with. We've Why ag- not? We've agreed, Matt. Virtual safety cars, we're going to close the pit lane unless you were involved in that incident, in which case they will impose a... Carl, stop shaking your head. In which case they will <laughs> impose a minimum uh, pit time for pitting under the virtual safety car. Uh, I disagree. Okay, go on then. Uh, Well, I'm going to say that I think we can reach two safe conclusions. One is luck will always be an element, no matter how much you try to neutralize it. Two, I think I figured out how to convince spanners that I'm correct in always closing the uh, pit lane for the safety car, but not for the virtual safety car. And if we think back to the final race of the previous season someone was able to pit and get fresh tires. Don't, 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 don't. And someone could not or chose not to. If no one got fresh tires, what kind of an ending would we have seen then? And I'm just going to say that I think I probably convinced at least one person on this panel to suddenly agree with me. Well, and I did get abuse for this on Twitter earlier, but it is worth (laughs) pointing out once again that all the lapped cars were allowed to overtake (laughs) under this safety car but whatever let's move on to the podium a fantastic canadian grand prix and although i do have an aversion to street tracks in general i have long said that the canadian grand prix is in my top five of all f1 grand prix tracks in history it is it is dependent on either a bit of bad weather or a safety car. But as I said in the intro, these <laughs> Montreal does deliver those things in the bucket load. So yes, this has been a fantastic and entertaining Grand Prix weekend. And now it's time to give out the awards. So first of all, we have the Good Thing Award. Yeah, it's been eight years and this is still called the Good Thing Award. Thing of the weekend, Matt, what would you give your thing of the weekend? Ah, geez. You know, I really want to give it to Ocon outscoring Alonso despite having a much worse weekend. But Alonso was so much faster, a a million times faster. A million times faster. I I just like the delicious irony of that, um, you know, appeals to me. So in fairness, maybe I should just stick with that. But I do have a second one I want to <laughs> get on, back to if no one else it, picks it. it. Fair? Yeah. Fair enough? Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, in, you want us to go to someone else? So, Jono? Yeah. All right. So uh, this is the good thing. Hmm. I was going to go with the crowd invasion, but that's boring. I'm going to give it to Yuki Sonoda for making me laugh. That was one of the dumbest accidents I've ever oh, seen in Formula One history. He said he hit a I'd, bump. I, I think, look, I think it's one of the dumbest accidents in history, certainly in the top five behind uh, the Stroll Latifi one this year in Melbourne, the the, the Taki Inui one, when Luca Badawa hit the, the car in Park Ferme in 2009, if anyone remembers that in Belgium. And what was the other one, Carl? Was it Coulthard at Adelaide in 95? Yep. Well, yep. 
well, we have two. There was Coulthard on the entry to the pit lane in Adelaide in 95. And the only other yeah. one I can think of who crashed coming out of the pit lane was Gerhard Berger in 93 at the Esther Royal oh, Grand yeah. Prix oh. coming out and he attracted and just binned it out the pits. Uh, that was the only time I can think of a driver binning it wait, straight wait. out the pit lane. That was Esteril or Hungary? Oh, it doesn't matter. Who that cares? was Esteril. He booted it out of the pit lane, screwed across the track and straight into the barriers. So if we're talking historical <laughs> was... crashes and we're at, yeah. we're talking Montreal, what about Hamilton fully just piling into Raikkonen? Oh, yeah, the flag. pit lane. Yeah. Oh, that's in, another in, one. In the pit lane. <laughs> yeah, that Sonoda's crash is no worse than that. Okay. So on a scale of uh, Taki Inui being hit by the medical car, no, he, his car, for people who haven't watched Formula One, his car didn't get hit by the medical car. Yeah, he, he got, got hit, hit by, by the medical car. Broke his leg. Right? Yeah. So on a scale of he's the dumbest accident in history yeah. to, I would say, Stroll Latifi this year in Melbourne qualifying, mm. I'd have to rank that like a Sonoda, like a 7 out of 10 for worse in history today. That was so funny. Um, so clumsy, and thanks for making me laugh, Yuki, at 5.30 in the morning. Okay, fair. to be fair, Matt, he was beating Gasly at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, he's been looking better against G- Gasly. had a particularly ghastly weekend, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle, <laughs> your thing of the weekend. My thing of the weekend is actually... For once, I'm going to praise the race directors and race direction oh, for hello. qualifying okay. and not mollycoddling everyone yeah. and actually having the bravery to release the cars on a very wet track, yep. letting them yep. go and qualify. And because mm-hmm. I, I get very angry in these wet sort of scenarios where I was like, if you just had the cars out on track, the ra- it, the water wouldn't settle, like get the cars out on track and it would be yeah. less bad. And the conditions were atrocious and with the puddles and i'm amazed they didn't red flag yeah. it because if they had red flagged it we would have sat there all night waiting for it to start and they didn't and also not being massively trigger happy with the red flags when mm. Albom stuck it into the barriers remember mm. imola they would have just instantly pulled for a red flag and i think they've listened to some of the feedback they've let them sort it out they've treated them a bit more like like adults and not school <laughs> children and they've let them go take a bit of risk and go for it these are the best drivers in the world and they actually treated them like it for once so my thing of the weekend is Thank you, Race Direction. Thank you for letting them actually go and be Formula One drivers. All right. Very good. Matt, did uh, did they take any of your your choices? No. My other thing of the mm. weekend was Joe getting into Q3 on the radio. That was so delightful. I loved every second of it. Okay. Well, I'm giving my, my thing of the weekend to Carlos Sainz because it was a shot in the arm. And yes, I know his teammates started from the back, but he gave everything that you would want from a Ferrari driver up front, giving it his all against Max Verstappen. Come on, John, John are you going to argue with me for Carlos well, Sainz? I, I, I got taught this this year is never praise politicians when they release a media statement saying politician does his job. Oh. This was Carlos Sainz, <laughs> right? Carlos Sainz does his job oh, and finishes no. second, which is what oh, he should have no. done. And you're going to praise him for that. Oh, I know. I think, he didn't do better than what he's supposed to be oh, doing. Oh, my goodness. So I think I've fallen foul of just like wanting <laughs> like, goodwill. So basically, like he's been a struggling hitter and he's just he's, he's got to first base finally instead of striking out. And I'm praising him. That's what I've fallen for. That's what I've yeah. done. That's what I reckon. Oh, you can't sorry. praise him for that. He's done his job. Sorry, well done, Matt, Matt, I tried. Now, now Matt, I, tr- I tried to praise Carlos Sainz. I tried. Uh, well, I, I appreciate the amount of effort that completely genuinely showed. It was genuine. And t- but the second that Jono 
made that argument, I went, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm wrong. Sorry, mate. No, I failed. Okay, now we've been all positive. It's the bad thing award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. <laughs> Who missed the apex for you? Kyle Power. Who are you judging this weekend? Mm, I never mm. pre-think of these, and I feel very much on the spot. So, but never, so the go... lesson is never go to Kyle first, is, yes. the, is, is, the, is the lesson. Okay. <laughs> but um, I'm mm. going to have to give it to our very own magician. The magician. Oh, no, that was mine. So, oh, sorry damn, damn, for damn. Okay. saying mm. on the radio, even when your teammate is trying to help you, yes, but even though the straight line, I've been 100 times faster all weekend. So I think mm. he was kind of inferring that he wanted the position swapped. And the thing is, it wasn't, it wasn't like Ocon was like behind a, a train that Alonso could have then gone and attacked. There was a five-second gap ahead that he was never going to catch at yeah. that point. Yeah. So all he was saying was, just swap us and just give me that mm-hmm. place. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, come on, man! <laughs> it's like well, that wasn't that wasn't very yeah. nice. Well, trumpets mentioned. Uh, I don't know. If it was pre-podcast. I don't think this was live. But you said that the reason Alonso sort of kept that position was because Ocon kind of dragged yeah. him along with the DRS. So had he gone ahead, maybe he would have been swept up. Yeah. Well, that's why I think they actually swapped them in. They they pitted Alonso when they didn't really have to to get him behind Ocon because they know they knew he had this problem, so they knew. Ocon had to give him the DRS to keep Alonso, otherwise he would have plummeted down the field. So it was a very surprising and a bit of a it was of, weird, a, a wide-eyed yeah. demand. It was like, okay, okay, well, okay, yeah. So that's my mistake. Uh, just a factual correction: uh, Ocon was ahead, I believe, of Alonso, and they both pitted under the safety car at the same time. Okay, fanboy bias. Yeah, Matt, what is your mistake award this week? Uh, my missed Apex Award is Aston Martin, who just went utterly missing mm-hmm. in qualifying. Oh yeah, and and failed to uh, fi- fix that very much during the race. But Kyle, they did, they did fix fix one thing though. Lance Stroll went from seventeenth and got a point. <laughs> well, safety and, car for sure. Yeah, yeah, but still. It, he always seems to do this at his home event. This is the third time he started from the back and come through and got points. And he also won me six pounds. So cheers, Lance. You, hang on. You bet on Lance Stroll to get points. Who bets on Lance yeah, Stroll? because he's got form. He's done it twice before. And I was like, I've got a feeling he's going to do it again. Cheeky one pound bet. Nice one, Lance. Oh, fair enough. Oh, what a waste oh, of money. Only gamble what you can afford to lose. Stop when the fun stops. Who who haven't we done here? So we, we did Kyle underprepared. We did Matt. So Jono. Who missed the apex for you? Who missed the apex? Well, Sonoda definitely missed the apex yeah. today. I'll tell you that much. Mm. Um, so hmm, I was going to give it to the, the fan on Friday who brought out a VSC for throwing a, what was like a beer can onto the track. But it was ruined by, I was looking through the driver's standings. I completely forgot Nico Hulkenberg drove this season. And Nicholas Latifi is behind Nico Hulkenberg in the driver's standings. I didn't even know Nico Hulkenberg was in Formula One for like two years. Like, I just completely forgot that Vettel yeah. had COVID. That is, my word, a terrible miss the Apex Award, Nicholas Latifi. Step up the game, mate. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, my missed Apex Award was also going to go to Nicholas Latifi, but it was for Groundhog Murder. 
because I, I think he did. He did, <laughs> oh, um, he did kill a ground dog, I think, into turn three. And, and oh. bless him, he sounded like really devastated that he'd done it. But obviously, once you hit the brakes, you can't do anything. But it's like in um, it, what is it, Mount Panorama in Australia, where you have a mm-hmm. kangaroo flag? Yeah, they they oh, should yeah. have a, a groundhog <laughs> flag possibly in Montreal as well. Was that during the race? It was during qualifying, I think, wasn't it? I was during qualifying. Yeah, 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 yeah I thought so. Yeah. yeah, but I mm. will give Latifi the Miss Apex Award because uh, yet again he is being shown to be very much ballast on the F1 grid. Like he was so far behind everyone yet again. Even after the safety car, he kept dropping back. And it's not a one-off thing. Race after race after race, uh, Albon is in the mix and he is way out of contention. I've got a great idea. You just, I just thought of it right now. Why don't, instead of sprint weekend, why don't we have like, you know, the Greyhound races where all the Greyhounds chase one thing, put Latifi one lap ahead at the start of the race oh, and then everyone has so to cool. try and catch him. And so then you just, mean. Oh my God. And then I don't know, yeah. like that would be pretty exciting because yeah. it'd be like lap 65 or 70. You're like, oh, Latifi's leading by one second and they all pass him and they win. Okay. Are we being too cruel to Latifi? Yes. It, okay, fine. But George Russell was Mr. Saturday and he was out driving the Williams. Now, Albon is Mr. Saturday and out driving the Williams. Could it not just be that any teammate of Latifi is going to look like Mr. Saturday? Sorry, Matt, I was turning to you. I thought you were going to defend uh, Latifi. I'm just going to say the word Mazepan and walk out of here. All right. I think you could pick the right teammate and Latifi <laughs> would look good. But I think if you're talking current Formula One drivers, you'd have a hard time finding that particular driver. Which is why we need to go back to 26 cars on the grid, because I think there's a saturation of talent. And there are a lot of drivers right now who should be on the grid. Piastri should be on there, and I could name a a whole lot more. We're going to get out of here, but you do need to follow Jono. Jono, tell us where you are on social media. I am at uh, Johnny S8. I'm going to spell that J-O-N-N-Y-E-S-S-8. Not just Twitter. Please go on Instagram too. I'm on boats. So check what, me out. What are you posting stuff. on Instagram? You on, on boats? Uh, well, no, I'm not that, oh. unfortunately, not that oh, rich. Okay. But I'm, um, yeah, just random stuff. Okay. Some interesting, funny mm. things, food. Uh, mm. I went to a dress-up party the other day. We, uh, me and my partner dressed up as Johnny, Heard, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It's pretty funny. Which, way, which one were you? Well, I was obviously Johnny Depp. Pirates of the Caribbean. Good. Go and follow Jono. We'll put a link in the show notes below. Follow Kyle at KylePowerF1. You're Twittering more, which I like. I, I comment on Wait, things. Wade I lurk. in there. Like yeah, all Wade social media, I lurk. <laughs> I like to lob grenades in from the side yeah. every now and then. Mm. But yeah, I do tweet. I, I go through phases. Like mm. all good things, I go through phases. He's there. Go and follow him. Uh, Matt at MattPT55. You, you lob grenades in from, from the very far left, if you don't mind me saying. Well, I mean, you know, which would be sort of the dead middle of your country. But yeah. <laughs> oh, touche. Okay. Or you can also follow me. I'm uh, at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. Make sure you follow me. Or you can be my friend on Facebook by searching for Richard Ready. You're going to be sick of me by the end of the week. I'll be popping up all over the place. I think we are going to catch up with Kevin Clark from the Ringer F1 podcast on Tuesday as well. We're going to deliver a magazine show that you're going to love on Sunday with a variety of guests. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This 
was Missed Apex Podcast. So I know uh, I know I'm tired. I know Kyle's tired. Jono's okay. He's just starting his day, and Matt is only just getting into the sherry zone. But boy, oh boy, am I looking forward to crashing. We've, we've gotten out of here before midnight. Wrong but first has never applied more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.